Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Built Broadcast with the Student Fellows. As it's coming up towards the end of our year with Built, we're going to be looking back on some of the things we've achieved uh, together and individually and thinking about uh, the future uh, for ourselves and for Bristol and for learning and teaching as well. So um, if you guys want to just introduce yourselves quick, I'll start. I'm Toby and I've been working on active collaborative learning this year. I'm Marnie, I've been working on authentic learning. I'm Emily, I've been working on a project called Students as Researchers. I'm Owen and I've been working on embedding wellbeing into the curriculum in my projects and all things in between. <laughs> One of your big achievements this year, Owen, was organising the Wellbeing Conference. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what that event was and uh, what it was like as an experience to organise it? The Wellbeing Conference was devised as a way to encourage greater student engagement with wellbeing, to be honest, because we had conversations at Built and with colleagues around the poor attendance and a lot of wellbeing workshops, really high quality wellbeing workshops that have been devised um, by the wellbeing services. And I thought, well, if we just have one space, one event where we can build some community, collaboration, some constructive dialogue, um, forge connections and teamwork. We can have a space where both staff, students and local initiatives see each other and connect with each other and all the concerns are being heard and needs and are being met. So, yeah, I think the proposal that we wrote down and secured funding from senior management from was all about adhering to the university's wellbeing strategy like making sure and student engagement which they know is tied to well-being was strong in the well-being department as as well so then i got in contact with the student union well-being network and they were looking to develop a partnership so I also was willing to bring some of my projects, um, ideas and some of my networks and also a bit of my funding to try and just throw myself into it. And it's probably actually the first time that I have felt like a businessman. <laughs> um, I'm sure the other student fellows can agree that the first few months of this year, I was uh, frantically running around on phone calls, um, typing away, uh, sending emails. And yeah, I kind of found that actually in large institutions like Bristol, you really have to put the effort into to connect up with stakeholders. And it kind of made me realize how much, um, how much kind of, disconnect there is between even just like the well-being services and let's say the SU well-being network and you know you have to be the person that's making the effort to build the comms between teams I mean everyone once you give the com send the comms out is very willing to participate because you say well-being conference and then there is enthusiasm there I think it's just the knowing where and knowing who and knowing what and how you do everything that is the difficult part but I guess you just have to be resilient with that but the motivation and the end product were kind of actually exceeded it in a way because when I actually experienced it firsthand I was like and had a few comments on the feedback I found that actually one of the biggest things for students and young people in Bristol is lack of connection isolation and what that conference did was 
it was a space where people could connect like-minded people who shared the same similar insights and values and wanted to you know kind of feel a bit better um and yeah i saw friendships being forged connections being made people feeling inspired to actually go and just make things happen as one girl said and yeah i found that really uh rewarding um but yeah i, I think organizing events did test my well-being as well <laughs> and my patience and the irony throughout the year of you know having to be mindful of my own mind whilst helping other people's mind is yeah a whole kind of drama in itself um but yeah i think it's definitely worth it being an annual event and i think i would definitely encourage anyone who is interested in working on this project to think about how we can host things virtually and still reach engagement how about Emily and the research uh, undergraduate research journal, the biggest hits on the built blog in recent weeks or months, maybe even ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess the main part of my project this year was setting up the students researchers undergraduate research journal. Um, I think it's the first undergraduate research journal that Bristol's had. I wanted to set it up because I think looking at the sort of students as researchers pedagogy made me realize that um, a lot of Bristol subjects don't really have a research community and they don't really encourage undergraduates to see themselves as researchers so I thought it would be a really great process to engage undergraduates in to sort of get them to experience what it's like being part of a research community but equally it was really great for the students who, who submitted their work and got to Sort of celebrate the work they've done and see it as research be it from a sciences or an arts background so yeah that's what we did we had um i think 12 different subjects involved and each subject like completely ran itself so all the students um were in charge of their own subjects which meant that they had a lot of engagement and they learned a lot of skills along the way and um as owen says we've had an awful lot of views on it which is really good and it's been i think this sort of how well it went i wasn't expecting a lot of people were really interested in it um, and really keen to be engaged and I think a lot of people want it to continue. Um, a lot of the editors that did it this year have said that they're keen to do it again next year and I think we've had quite a few people from subjects that weren't represented wanting their subjects to be represented next year. So again it's something I'm really hoping will carry on. Um, I think it's got the potential to carry on. It's definitely got the demand because like you said it's been really popular. Yeah, uh, I think it's been kind of a long time coming, actually. Like, I was quite surprised by the fact that this is the first time we've got an undergraduate research journal out there because it's been going on in so many other universities. I think Bristol, the demand's there because people have been waiting in Bristol for their research to be published and also to just, I guess, engage with your work, your mate's work. I mean, the amount of times I said, oh, I'd love to read your essay. But you know, the whole like catching up on your friend and saying, will you actually send me that essay never usually happens. But if you just get it published in a journal, I'm sure anyone can pick that up. So it's quite nice to support your mate's work. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think definitely. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of postgraduate research journals um, up and down the country in universities, which um, I guess makes more sense in a way because they're further into that academic sphere but there are a few undergraduate journals and like you say it was quite surprising that Bristol hadn't already got one 
I think one of the best things that's come of it as well is that lots of subjects have been inspired by it to sort of do something more subject specific at a department level. So history are going to set up a blog where um, you can submit your essay to the blog and they're going to do a similar peer review system um, just for more history essays to get a taste of like what a first class or a 2-1 essay is like. And I know that psychology want to do something similar. So I think it's really great that it's encouraging students to do it at a lower, like a department level as well, not just uni-wide level, um, and getting them to engage in their peers' work in that capacity too. Yeah, and on that point, it's actually a useful resource for students if the history department do go and make this blog, which helps students get a sense of whether it's a first-class essay or a 2-1. I mean, I'm sure we've all been looking for resources like that when we're trying to write essays so you know you probably have inspired another collection of great assets uh, for students i think those kind of resources are really valuable because i think obviously there are reasons behind it plagiarism and things like that but i think we do often not end up sharing a lot of the work we're doing with our peers at university and i think a lot of people come to university with the idea that it's going to be very, very collaborative and you're going to be sharing ideas and talking to other people about your work and it ends up actually being quite a kind of individual effort. So I think, yeah, if there's just a way to expose students to what other people on their course or throughout the university have been doing, I think that's really good. I think also it gives students some sense of uh, validation that their work is good and worthy outside of marks because Bristol it, you get the sense that a lot of students in Bristol really, really care about their marks. But the journal is a way of, yeah, like Toby said, collaborating and sharing, but also the individual students who are in it have got something really meaningful out of it. Yeah, it's kind of acts yeah. as like a second base, because if you had an essay returned and didn't get the mark that you wanted, made the revisions on the essay and then submitted it to the journal, it still then has its rewarding dimension. And I guess that is so often how kind of academia works is that you don't get a mark and then you 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 know you cry and never look at it again like a lot of students do you they send it back you make the revisions and you make the edits and then you return it and then another journal will publish you instead so seems odd that this i actually do think and i remember this being said at the wellbeing conference by professor bruce hood the degree classifications and the kind of message it sends to students and the perfectionism it creates in the sense of uh, do you, being feeling demoralized after getting feedback it just we, it needs a totally to be either debunked or rethought and reconceptualized because um it can really be counterproductive for students kind of academic engagement Definitely. Like, I think that was one of the really great things about the journal because um, we decided that we wouldn't just publish first class essays. We didn't. We decided not to make it a mark threshold, like you had to get above this mark before we publish you. We just said, send in your essay. The peer reviewers looked at it, um, and instead of just being like, okay, well that's not a first, so we're not publishing that. They had a look and as them between them discussed it and sort of came up with, as you do when you peer review, came up with some suggestions, sent it back to the authors and the ones they thought had the most potential then got published in the journal. So it wasn't a case of only the highest grade essays get published, but more that your peers looked at your work, decided if they thought it could be improved to a high level and then it got published, which I think is really beneficial because you see your work in a different light and also your peers discuss your work. And I think it's quite good to have sort of criticism from your peers um, 
and it helps you write better and I think we don't often we don't look at others essays and we don't discuss them and it would be really great if this led to something where for example I said history is sort of sharing their uh, essays online if you then had a discussion of those essays so instead of always discussing say for example in English we always discuss critical works by established academics if we were discussing other peers work I think that would be far more beneficial to our development and our learning. I think the the degree classification has I wouldn't say I wouldn't go as far as to say it caused but it definitely correlates with a hugely competitive culture in university Russell Group universities like Bristol which then demotivates students to send essays over for fear that well what if I send my essay and then they get a better grade or they take some of my ideas and God forbid that that does actually happen sometimes because, you know, we should be avoiding plagiarism. But I think there could be more collaboration, dialogue on our work and on our project, academic projects. I um, do think, yeah, this um, shows, because I think peer feedback is, is something that is kind of avoided in the university, I think both by students and staff, because it doesn't always work. And I think a lot of us have had probably slightly negative experiences with with peer feedback but I think as you said maybe if you take away that classification but you've still got you know the journal is it's still an achievement if you get put in the journal then it, it gives a kind of a reason behind the peer feedback but without having those stakes on it where you're like oh well you know I don't want to give this person negative feedback because it might affect their grade so I think mm -hmm. if courses can find a way to get peer feedback into a formative work or to, into some sort of credit that isn't directly related to your classification I think that would be really good and I'm sure some of the students in the journal would say this is probably some of the best feedback they've gotten throughout university I wouldn't be surprised. Could you expand on your negative experiences of peer review feedback because I've I've only ever had positive ones I mean I'm kind of curious to know what 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 might happen on the other end of the spectrum. To be fair at Bristol I've not had so much but back when I was at Exeter we had a poster project which was just we had an independent research project and produced posters and a certain part of the mark was basically decided by we had a sort of mini conference and we went round but I think because everyone knew that they were they were directly affecting you know essentially the mark that someone was going to get for their work everyone just kind of ended up getting a 65 because no one wanted to give I feel you know on average as a class you didn't want to give people really high marks because obviously that might affect the overall grades of the class get and you obviously didn't want to give everyone a low mark so I think that wasn't particularly productive because I think everyone just ended up kind of giving a good grade to everyone and maybe it wasn't actually, it wasn't the grade that was important, it was the feedback that was important. So I guess what I was thinking is that when with Emily's journal is that people get to read essays and have a discussion about them without any kind of incentive to think about, well, what should I mark this work? I think that can then confuse and distort the actual the juicy academic stuff like oh you should alter this sentence for clarity and stuff and I guess Marnie this sort of feeds into your work which is how do we give students value in their work maybe outside of marks so making it more authentic and making them making students feel like their work's contributing to kind of the real world I know people hate that term but you know in life after uni mm. well I think also there's such a big element of it that's focused on teamwork so this this term um, I did a module that involved 15% of the mark was just evaluation of your peers and I think in a way obviously there is downsides to that but in a way 
it demonstrates that working together well is a skill and a skill that you're rewarded for. So the maximum mark you can get is 80. And lots of people ended up getting 80 because people knew this was happening. So the whole way through, they were making an effort not just to, you know, work on their own individual projects, but also to like collaborate and to collaborate really well and respect other people's views. So I thought that was really nice to see. But also you're right, like being relevant to the real world gives students so much validation. So you can see in the NSS scores, the modules that have chosen to work with partners outside of the university tend to score much higher and students in the long run report a much higher sense of satisfaction with their own education. So that was actually one of the really interesting things that I found this year was directly seeing the link between uh, units which involved outside collaboration, collaboration with students having a really positive long-term impact. So what have you been working on this year, Marnie? I think a lot of my grand goals for this year were slightly scuppered by COVID. So a lot of my end goals for my projects were at the end of March or at the beginning of April, so unfortunately didn't go ahead. Me and Toby have planned a sustainability challenge, which was going to be really fun. Um, and I had quite a few conferences that I was going to go to that unfortunately just didn't, didn't go. But I think also it, is a, it was a good learning lesson in itself because sometimes things just don't work out. Sometimes a pandemic means that learning is different. So it was a learning lesson all around. Um, but also I think, I think good, come, good things have come out of COVID in terms of the effect on what I've been researching. I think it's been really interesting in terms of looking at the intersectionality of learning. So people appreciating that actually there are really significant differences in how people learn and also that, that some people just experience a lot more barriers learning. I think those have become a lot more visible. So getting to research that aspect was really, really interesting and hopefully will impact the way that the university takes its strategy forward. So it will take into account those intersectionalities. But yeah, I think a lot of what I've been doing this year has been writing blogs and having conversations and advocating for authentic learning. Um, and hopefully that has made people reconsider how they learn and how they teach. Yeah, I guess with the COVID-19 kind of question, which I knew inevitably would come up, I mean, the research you're doing there, Marnie, on the disparate barriers to kind of good learning during online learning kind of became so apparent when we were trying to give the student perspective in the kind of digital conference that Bill was hosting and like even I was presenting on <laughs> this um, topic of the student experience of online learning and then there goes my wi-fi and disconnects during the Q&A and I'm like well, here we are. It speaks for itself. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't stage planned. It was just Virgin Media um, causing me uh, trouble again. But yeah. So I think when I wrote a recent blog on kind of taking a more holistic approach to embedding well-being in the curriculum, which acknowledges some of the stuff which might get. I thought personally went overlooked and I, there's lots of papers of literature that say the same is that in the well-being agenda we don't talk enough about the social side of 
um, like social background and class and race because they seem like divisive and not very like positive, you know, happy topics to talk about. But these are barriers and things that do affect the people's sense of belonging and um, whether they can access good quality Wi-Fi during online learning. And this will all take a toll on well-being and especially care leave as young carers. I just had so so many conversations and I thought your experience, student who's gone to uh, lucky enough to go to a second home in the countryside with really great Wi-Fi is so different to that person than you know helping family out in a small flat during corona and trying to do online learning and studying and I think this is the big move that well the big turn that I took in my kind of project after corona is kind of thinking well I I'm not happy to just go and talking about ways to well-being and how we can create good well-being without acknowledging that the the different playing field and the different levels that we're working with for certain people's well-being and the, we have to be more person-centered I guess and deal with people's individual needs and access um, routes because some people just do not have the same resources and mm. it's one of the trickiest ones to address. Yeah I think also I um, reconsidering the position of international students who I feel like at university level are really, really often overlooked. Mm. But suddenly they're so important to the university financially and the university really has to consider their needs. And also international students are so important for making Bristol the sort of great university that it is. They bring in all of these diff this different knowledge and culture and it's what makes Bristol such a wonderful place to be. And now university strategy has to consider them at every single level. They have to consider how their resources can be used, how time zone is going to affect them, how their well-being might be affected. Um, and that is one of the things that I, the positive things that I hope comes out of coronavirus is that international students are given more of a voice when talking about what sort of resources are going to be made available and what sort of teaching students want. I definitely think... Um moving forward and this goes for Bristol and probably goes for a lot of other higher education uh, institutes as well but I think the idea of there kind of being one degree for everyone just doesn't work I think if you look at outside of academic the academic side of it I think people can very much choose the journey they have for uni but I think for a lot of people apart from module choice you'll find that they kind of end up having a very 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 similar journey and as you've said, Owen, and, you know, money with international students, Kelly was whatever, and or even just people's kind of natural learning differences. I think there needs to be much, much more of an element of choice. And yeah, as, as you said, in a person-centric view, that there isn't just one degree that's going to suit everyone. And we need to maybe find a way to allow people to choose their own path or just provide more options to people so they can they can achieve what they need to achieve in the way that works for them. Yeah, this is actually something that I was thinking about because I was looking at my options for next year. So I think I have probably somewhere around 40 different modules that I can choose. And of those 40, one module is not assessed by a 4,000 word essay in a formative presentation. <laughs> and I think one of the things I've learned this year about authentic learning is it's not for everyone, but it is definitely for more people than one out of 40. And 
lots of people and lecturers and students find the didactic style of teaching really comforting, but it's just not really enough that that's all you can do. That's the only assessment that's offered for you. Mm. Yeah, I think it's the same with the same with active learning. I think something which maybe didn't surprise me, but something I learned going through this year was that actually, although to me it always seemed like the most obvious and the best way of learning for some people it isn't people have different goals when they come to uni and people learn in different ways and yeah I, th I think you can't just say okay we're moving 100% to active learning that this is what we're doing we're going to collaborate on every project but as you say Marnie you, there needs to be options people need to be able to choose modules that have a heavy active element or don't or have a heavy authentic element and there needs to be genuine options rather than just one or two really really good forward-thinking lecturers who are kind of driving change in their own modules but but the change kind of isn't isn't there across the across the course. You guys have both been working on sort of different approaches to um, teaching, but also to assessment. So maybe you could talk to us a little bit about some of the alternatives that you found, because obviously, Manu, you said only one of them wasn't an essay based one. So what are the what is that one that's not and what other sort of methods are there? So the one that I took, there were three different sorts of assessment in that module. One of them was a business plan that you made for a business in trouble. So you would list, you would do an analysis and then how you get that business out of trouble. Uh, it would be the peer assessment I was talking about earlier. And it was a group report, which for me was really new and really different. because I'd never done any sort of group work that was formally marked before. The only sort of group work I'd done had been a presentation with one or two other people. Um, so it was really different and really new and really hard. It was by far the hardest module I've done at university so far, but it was also the most rewarding and I learned the most from it. Um, and I think that was a big part because the assessment was so different. So group projects is one way this assessment can be different. Another one is just assessing different things. I think often students get in the habit of, particularly for social sciences, and humanities, kind of collating lots of different reading and maybe giving their thoughts about giving about the readings, but that's generally what it is. Um, so just thinking slightly outside that box, thinking about how you can make that information accessible to a wider audience. So there's one module which you have to write a BBC article, which to some people it might seem a bit non-academic, but actually it's a really important skill to be able to get information and make it accessible to people because the vast majority of students aren't going to go out into the world and only talk to academics and I think that's a really crucial part about authentic learning is that it doesn't just teach you how to be a super successful academic it teaches you how to be successful in communicating with other people. Toby what have you found? No, I was just going to say, I think I, I really agree with what, what you said about you're not going to be just communicating with academics when you leave uni. I think if Bristol took on 500 students a year, I think they could say, yeah, we're training you for a career in academia. But actually, when there's however many thousands there are, you need the skills that aren't academic because there aren't that many places in academia. And yeah, I think ways of assessing students that find ways to communicate to different audiences and communicate complex topics, but in a way that is accessible for different audiences, whether that's government reports, 
BBC reports, um, posters, lessons, podcasts, anything really, I think is a, a really good way of turning knowledge into something that's applied. And yeah, and I think that becomes a really positive learning experience and a necessary one. Well, it's been really great to be able to talk about some of the stuff that we've managed to do with Built this year. Uh, but unfortunately, one of the things that we couldn't do in the end because of COVID was the Best of Bristol Lecture Series, which was unfortunately cut short. But when we were preparing for that, we were interviewing some of the really fantastic lecturers. And one of the questions that we asked them was, if you could change one thing about learning and teaching at Bristol, what would it be? So we're going to give our answers to that as well now. So Emily, what do you think? If you could change one thing at Bristol, what would it be? Bringing research into units more. And not just that um, about reading about research, but actually encouraging students to engage and making students feel as they are researchers. So a lot of the stuff I've said before that came from the journal, such as um, peer reviewing each other's work um, and make like working on essays, working feedback, redoing them again, so you've got a better final product. Things like that inside the curriculum to encourage you to reflect on yours and each other's work. I think is a really beneficial skill, not only for academia, but for moving out into the real world as well. Fantastic. Um, Marnie, have you any thoughts? Yeah, I think if I would change one thing, I would make it mandatory that students and staff have to collaborate before the start of each unit, because I think this would help give that element of personalization that we were talking about in terms of what the students are learning about what their individual interests are, but also how they would like to be assessed. Because I think getting that collaboration between students and staff would not only mean that students might have a learning experience which is more beneficial to them, but also I think it would help create a community rather than an institution, which sounds really cheesy, but I think it's true. There's often such a, di a distance between students and staff which can result in really harsh NSF scores and staff making rude jokes about students. And I think if students and staff were forced to collaborate more, then it would help overcome some of those barriers. What do you think, Owen? Hmm. Well, there's kind of, there's the easy stuff, which is the administrative side, which is, yeah, relatively easy, where you can remove barriers to certain ways of making our curriculum more well-being orientated, i.e., you know, having um, students given the option to elect their course units, which they don't do at the moment because I had a meeting with uh, the steering group for well-being because it's too much of it. I'd, administrative burden but at the same time as someone who is a liberal arts student and had so much agency over designing my own course I know that designing your own course not only helps you academically more in engaged it just helps you on a personal level as well and in terms of your lived experiences and I've always chosen units that I've, I knew would be positive and enriching on a personal level as well as an academic level. So there's that element. But I also think that um, we can do probably go further and we can embed well-being at more of a discipline level. And although it's 
it is easier in certain human subjects like arts and humanities and social sciences to explore ideas around mental health and well-being and exploring these ideas in the abstract i do think now that nowadays and especially with corona as well is that we cannot have a functioning or efficient or uh, society or institution or collaboration if so many of our members are not there or really struggling to get by and we all know the connection between mental health and productivity and efficiency and performance and it, it does it does kind of confuse me that um, more is not being done to kind of embed well-being into workshops within our course units and maybe this will be a move people may because when it's extracurricular no disrespect to the all the well-being services that work so hard to put on well-being workshops they're so poorly attended because it is a strain on people's time or there is that lack of incentive there because it's a in a course unit when you're enrolled onto it you have to do the things to pass if well-being was integrated into that packaged let's say i do think there would be more engagement in ideas and i do think when um people saw the well-being conference as a way to network with other uh, local initiatives they saw that as an incentive and unfortunately it's not my ideal world but people just do use incentives and are opportunistic and i think that is something that they'll have to think about um, moving extracurricular well-being activities or practice or theory into the actual curriculum. What about you, Toby? What's one thing you'd change? So I guess I'd love to say just get rid of degree classifications. That would probably be my, uh, my one thing. But I think being a little bit <laughs> more, <laughs> I think being a little bit more realistic. Um, I would love to see more departments and more um, subjects take up portfolio-based assessment. I think this kind of very individual modular view of a lot of subjects really stops students from seeing the whole picture and prevents some of the authentic and active learning assessments from necessarily working because one of those units has to do it and the other ones are going to assess normally. So I think allowing students to produce a range of kind of their choice of outputs in terms of how they're going to be assessed on a module that come together to create kind of uh, an overarching view I think would be really fantastic. I think it gives students more choice. It means, you know, if they're coming to uni to be an academic, they can pick academic reports, they can pick scientific reports. If they're coming to uni because they want to be an educator, they can, uh, you know, produce work that kind of fits more into that. And I think it would just give students a chance to uh, pick assessment or even find out what assessment works for them and then build their own assessment themselves rather than just doing the same thing over and over again and kind of honing the same very limited skill set. I guess we'll have to pass on and see what the student fellows of extra get up to. Thanks for everyone's time listening to this podcast. And I think we're all quite grateful, the student fellows, for the opportunity to engage with these projects and to learn and develop as students and graduates, as well as collaborate with so many amazing people and professionals during our experience. And I think... We're, we're making huge strides in the university to get the student voice and I know everyone talks about the student voice but I think what this has done is that I've now made connections and friends within the professional services and the academics at the uni and I think 
that is what both parties benefit from so but i'm very happy with my experience as a student fellow yeah so thank you for listening <laughs>